Turn again to Jude, verse 3, and then we'll turn back to 2 John. But first, June, Jude, the book of Jude, and verse 3. We want, yet again, to read this uh, scripture. And our subject this evening, it, regarding our articles of faith, is, Our Articles of Faith... A good place to start for guarding the pulpit. Did I get you one? I think they're gone. Just pay attention while I read. All right. So our subject again is, uh, are articles of faith a good place to start for guarding the pulpit? Here in Jude, verse 3, It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look in 2 John. 2 John, and begin at verse 1. We're going to read the entire book, some 13 verses, and pay particular attention at verses 7 through verse 10. 2 John, verse 1. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever, grace be with you, mercy and peace. From God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Now verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ He hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. Now, I want you to take here, as we said, and remember, I said 
Our articles of faith are a good start. It's not the finish. It's a good start. It's a place to look to. And I would encourage this church, if the Lord ever takes me away from here in any capacity, that you begin with our articles of faith as you look for a new pastor and really pin them down. I mean pin them down and get deliberate and direct answers to these articles because the future of the church depends upon it. And I'm not planning on going anywhere, but I say that because we don't know what's going to happen. Furthermore, because it's my responsibility to even guard this church after I'm gone until another pastor would come. But I want you to know that this is a good place to start. I'll say this, I have never known the Holy Spirit of God to lead a church incorrectly or out of the narrow way. I've never known him to do that. That's usually man who does those things. But I want you now in our church constitutions, page 26 of the church constitution, heading number four, the worship service, and note paragraph C and D. The by, or our, our bylaws, this is in the bylaws section, and I'll say this, even if it didn't have these two paragraphs, we are still beholden by God's word to guard the pulpit. And in uh, these paragraphs, paragraph C, it says here, this church will not give countenance, and that means support or aid or encouragement. This church will not give countenance to any preacher who is not orthodox in Baptist doctrine. They which ministered to this church in a preaching or teaching capacity first must be known to be sound in faith according to the articles of faith adopted by this church. And then 1 Timothy 3.6 it quotes. Paragraph D. Included in services that this church recognizes as worship services are funerals, weddings, business meetings, or any other gathering of the church. This church will, will not, therefore, give countenance to anyone to conduct these types of services who would not be acceptable to preach or teach as specified in paragraph C above. And so uh, we wanted to read those things from that uh, section in the bylaws of our church constitution. Now, what I want to look at here this evening, and let me say before we go further, I've learned a lot in three years. I've, uh, or as we're growing toward three years, I'm going to continue to learn more. There's things I never thought you'd have to ask another man of God about who claims to be a Baptist. There's just things I never thought. But as we see the day of the Lord drawing nigh, the day in which Jesus Christ shall come, the Lord said there'd be a falling away. And so we really need to guard over the pulpit because my personal feeling, the way I was taught is don't have anyone preach who you wouldn't be comfortable pastoring the church if you had to leave or to be your own pastor. And so that's a good motto. 
And so we want to do those very things ourselves. I do have my own sins, my own failures, my own iniquities, and my own shortcomings. And I do apologize to the Lord and the church for those. Now we want to take a look here, and I want to look at our text of 2 John. And in verse 1 we read here that John is writing, and to whom is he writing to? Well, he's writing unto the elect lady. You can set aside your constitutions for now. We'll not need them anymore this evening. But in 2 John, in verse 1, the, the Bible says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children. Now, I believe that the phrase elect lady is not a woman and her children in a house but rather a church of the living God. And we believe this, and we know that the Bible speaks of in Ephesians chapter 5, as how that the Bible says that uh, a husband should love his wife as Christ loves the church, and a wife should submit unto her husband like the church is to submit unto Christ. The Bible says as well in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 8, that behold the uh, the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And so the church is spoken of in a feminine sense. And I believe that all of God's people, those who are saved and scripturally baptized, and who serve God faithfully in and through his church, will be in the bride. And I believe the people say, well, it says elect lady. Well, is not the Lord's churches, did he not choose them? Is he not choosing out people, a remnant, even amidst his churches, that will comprise his bride, his bride? And that's the elect, or the chosen ones, because it's all of election of grace. And so I want you to remember that, but look over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll return to 2 John momentarily. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, again we believe John is writing unto a church of the Lord. People say, well, why did he write this way? Well, clearly the Holy Spirit led him to. He didn't write unto the saints of God at Ephesus or at Corinth, as Paul did. He said unto the elect lady and her children. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11... And note verse 2, note what Paul says here under the church at Corinth. Paul says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so he's speaking of the church at Corinth, and he says, I have espoused you, I have, uh, it's similar to a, an arranged marriage, because that's what it is, it's already been arranged. Those who are faithful to the Lord in his church, his marriage has already been arranged yonder in glory when we go to be with the Lord. It's already been arranged. And Paul says, I have espoused you. And he tells them and that they are to I'm going to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And that refers to uh, primarily here in the scripture, it's referring unto the church at Corinth that they would have no falsehoods in them. That they would not be a church with rampant sins. And you, all how the, you know how the church at Corinth was. They had a lot of sin in them. But this is what the Lord says here. 
is kind of like, I'd imagine, a father. He does everything he can do to protect his daughter, that when he gives her away in marriage, she will be a pure and chaste and virgin bride for her husband. That's probably every father's desire for his daughters, that they would remain celibate or remain a virgin until he gives them away unto their one husband. I'm sure that's their desire. And so we find that this is so. And Paul, sa Paul says this about the church at Corinth in giving them or espousing them unto Christ. Now, again, remember that the Lord here is speaking of the church. And I believe that the Lord is going to one day marry his churches, that is, those who are faithful. Now, in 2 John, in verse 1, he further states this. And he says, the elect lady, or the elder, unto the elect lady and her children. Now, who are her children? Well, I believe that it speaks of the members of the church, but in particular, the newly converted or the babes in Christ. And now if you'll bear that in mind, we'll come back to that. And so he's speaking of here, and we're just going through the text, laying some ground points, and we're going to bring this all together this evening. And so Paul, or John rather, writes under the church, and he's thinking of those new converts, the babes in Christ, those who were newly saved, those who were, uh, as the, the one man said, I know nothing except to say, whereas I was blind, but now I can see. And so he's speaking of babes in Christ. You know how a baby is. Uh, that's one of the most important times in their life when their personality is being shaped, when they are, are uh, um, pliable as far as their minds are, that they can be taught things. I'm told it's, it probably will be easier for my son to learn a, a foreign language than it is for me because I'm sort of set in my ways. And his mind is able to learn things. And the same way it is regarding spiritual truths. You take a man who was saved and taught incorrectly for years, and then the truth comes to him, why he'll buck against it. And you kind of have to undo and then reteach. And so this is what we find. So John here is writing unto a church and her children. Well, then I want you to skip over to verse 7. And here the Bible says, John writing, this is at the turn of the first century, approximately 90 A.D. And this wasn't long, some 60 years after Jesus had been on this earth, had organized this church and gone to be with, uh, sit on the right hand of his heavenly Father. And know what John says, 60 years later, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So imagine if there 60 years later after Christ went yonder to be and sit on his father's hand, 60 years later, think of now nearly 2,000 years later. We got more deceivers than we know what to do with. But here we find that John says this. Remember we read there in Jude in verse 4, where Jude said that these deceivers had crept in unawares. They had crept into the church. 
John says there were many who had entered into the world. Now we find these things to be so. If you remember in Acts chapter 20, Paul warned the Ephesian elders that there would be ravening wolves from without who would try to come in and devour the flock. And then he also said that there would be some who would rise up in the midst of the church and try to devour the flock. And so this we know to be so. Let us look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and this time let us note verse 13. So there is the warning of the deceivers who are coming in, who are already in the world. They're trying to get into the Lord's churches. So John has warned this church. He says they're out in the world and they're trying to come in. Here in 2 Corinthians 11 in verse 13, here the Bible says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel... For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. And so here Paul had warned about the same thing. And then look in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. And we find uh, similar that Christ had spoken of. And he says in Matthew 7 and verse 15. Here on the Sermon on the Mount. Even during his own earthly ministry. Jesus warned of this. And he says beware. Matthew 7 15. Beware of false prophets. Which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now I want to say. Before we go any further, and I want to make this clear, there are men who are not permitted to be in this pulpit, and not all of them are outwardly ravening wolves. Some of them are just disqualified because they do not meet the scriptural qualifications of pastoring one of the Lord's churches. They'd be fine church members, but they do not meet the standards that God has set for the pulpit. And so I'm saying here, not all are ravening wolves. They just don't measure up to God's standard. And I did not write 1 Timothy. I did not write the standards of what it is to be a minister of God. I do my best to do the things that the Bible says a pastor should do, and the more I read about it, the more I see my lacking. But I'm noting here this evening, we're talking about some things here that are the qualifications to be in this pulpit. And the Bible here, and be in this pulpit as a pastor or a minister capacity, if you would. Now, we find in 2 John also, and verse 13, that John writes, and here we find that there's another church involved. 2 John and verse 13. The Bible tells us, he says here, The children of thy elect sister greet thee, amen. 
And so John here is saying unto this church, he says, the children, the members of this elect lady, your elect sister, because we refer to us as sister churches, he says, the members over here send their greetings to you. And so there's another church involved here. And by that I mean this sister church, they're looking at this, the church in verse 1 as an example. Do we not look to other churches of the Lord for encouragement, for examples? Do they not look to us for encouragement and for examples? Certainly, we look to one another. We try to encourage and to help and to be co-workers and co-laborers as we are able to. And I'll say this as well, that I have learned a lot from other men, other pastors. They have helped me guard the pulpit. And we talk. And you know, I'm thankful when one of them says, now this fellow here, he'll tell you he believes in the Lord's church, but come to find out, he really doesn't. Because people will lie. People who call themselves Baptist pastors will lie. They'll put on a good show for months, maybe even years, but eventually the truth may be found out. But what I'm saying here is this, that other churches look. They may not interfere, and I hope they don't interfere. I hope we never interfere. But we watch and we encourage, and we try to aid as they request. What we're talking about is men who are sound in Baptist doctrine. I'll tell you this, that at the beginning of my ministry... I would not have made a good pastor because I didn't know anything. The Bible talks of that. It says not to call a novice to be a bishop or a pastor because Satan can tempt him through pride and and lifting up and vain glory and all sorts of things. And it's true of you as it is of me. The longer you serve the Lord, the more you study the scriptures, the more you should know. That's just common sense. It's like in school, you ought to know more in sixth grade than you did in first grade. Otherwise, you never should have got to sixth grade. But we find these things to be so. Now, I want you to note here what John says in verse 10. And this is our second point. We have noted the text. Now, my second point is, John says, receive him not. Now, the Bible says in verse 10, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Now, he says, receive him not. But I want you to look over into the last phrase of verse 5. Because John wrote here, he said, that we love one another. And I saw one man, he said, well, John contradicted himself. John didn't contradict anything. Just because a man is not permitted in the pulpit doesn't mean he is not loved. And I'll prove that with Scripture. Look over into uh, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. We are told to love the brethren. We are told to love our sisters in Christ. 
We are told to do good unto the household of faith. And I have brothers and sisters in Christ who are not Baptists, who have no intentions of being Baptists. It does not mean that they are not saved. But I want you to take a look here in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 35. The scripture says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now note the second one. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I'll say this as I've said it before. If causing love to a brother, or if loving a brother causes you to go against the commandments of God, it is not love to your brother. And if we were to say, well, brother, I love you, and since I love you, and I know you're not qualified, but come on in. We have violated the great and the first commandment. And we cannot do that. And many will say, you do not love me. Well, that's not so. I just happen to love the Lord a bit more than I do you. And so we want to keep that in mind. Amos, the Old Testament prophet, said in chapter 3 and verse 3, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, the answer is no. They can't. And so our fellowship may be hindered, may even be broken. But I'm going to stand before the Lord one day, and so will you, and will answer for all of these things. The Bible says in Psalms, the 133rd division in verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And it is, but not at the sake of compromising the word of God. Now remember that, Psalm 133 will return there as well. Look in 2 John, verse 10. We'll spend some of our time here in verse 10. We'll spend some of it in verse 9. But in verse 10, John beseeches. John gives an apostolic order. Because as an apostle, the, uh, the apostles were those who had a specific office and they were to give instruction to all of the churches. And John here gives an instruction here and he says, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. Now, I believe that this is in reference to the church. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16 that the, the, uh, the, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth, which is the house of God. And I know it says your house, but remember what I've said. I said it when I first came here. This church will be what we make it. 
we want it to be a loving church, if we want it to be a hating church, if we want it to be a going church, a missionary church, whatever we want it to be, that's what it'll be. And so we have a responsibility. And so in some instance it is our church or your church. Because we're the ones whom the Lord has put here. We're the ones who God is using as members of this church to preach and teach and stand for the doctrines of the word of God. And so John says, receive him not into your house. And I believe this is speaking of as well, primarily of not giving them place particularly in preaching, because again he's speaking of false preachers, deceivers, and antichrists, from verse 7. Now, we find also in the word of God, he says, receive not, this is the order, he says, do not receive them. You cannot play with fire and expect to get away unscathed. And that is exactly What inviting someone who does not believe in these articles, who is not qualified, it's playing with fire. Especially if you already know they're not qualified. And this is something that many pastors will do. The Bible tells us here that we are to withstand them. Receive them not. Look over in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. This is a direct order from God himself unto his churches. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. The Bible tells us, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I'll be honest with you, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is tell a man he's no longer welcome to preach in this pulpit. It was a very hard thing to do. But God gave the grace. And we were able to stand and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And that's the only way you can serve God. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand. Remember we're speaking about withstanding. To stand against the wiles or the tricks of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities. Against powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 
So this is what the Bible says. We are to withstand against those who would preach things that are contrary to the word of God. I'm not saying I've gone a corner on the word of God. But what I'm saying is, as we read in our Constitution, in the bylaws, that we will not give countenance. We will not give them a place. We will not say, well, you've got half of the scriptures right. Come on in. The Bible tells us of a parable that the husbandman who owned a vineyard, he went and sold good, or sold good seed. And while he slept, the devil came in and sowed tares among the wheat. Now, it'd be a whole lot worse if we weren't sleeping, but we invited them to come in. You wouldn't open the door for a thief to come into your house and say, take whatever you want. No. That's what pastors and churches are doing to the Lord's churches. They are opening their doors to false ministers and saying, come on in. Take whatever you want. They're not guarding the pulpit according as the word of God would have us to. And I'll say this, and may you as well, I will never apologize for doing such. Never, ever, ever, ever apologize for standing for God's word. Never do it. Don't apologize on behalf of this church. Don't apologize on behalf of me as the pastor. If people are wrong, they're wrong. That's the way it is. I heard my father preach on a sermon, don't be sorry for doing what God tells you to do. And we shouldn't be. We ought to be sorry for our sins against God. The problem is too many Baptists, they'll, they're willing to offend God, but they're scared of offending anybody else by standing for a truth. That's the problem in our churches today. We don't want to offend anybody, but we'll walk all over the Lord. Well, we'll answer for that too. Thirdly, this evening, I want you to take note, what is the basis of the withstanding? Because in verse 10 here in 2 John, in verse 10, he says this, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, well, that begs the question, what doctrine are they not bringing? Well, that's back in verse 9. So let's read verse 9. 2 John verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. So what doctrine is it? It is the doctrine of Christ. Christ. Now, I want you to pay particular attention to this and notice what the exact wording is. It does not say the doctrine about Christ. It says the doctrine of Christ. The doctrines about Christ would be if we would have a Presbyterian in our pulpit simply because they believe in salvation by grace and election in the doctrines of grace. 
Well, Jesus taught more than the doctrines of grace. You see, my point is here is it doesn't say if a man says, well, I believe in salvation by grace through faith and that blood atonement is the only way to be saved. That's a good start. And that's all it is. Not to belittle salvation. But it says here, the doctrine of Christ, not about Christ. The doctrine of Christ is not merely a few tidbits about the person of Jesus Christ. It's not merely his incarnation, his virgin birth, his vicarious death. It encompasses the entire word of God. The doctrine of Christ. I think John, in particular, I believe the Holy Spirit knew the difference between the word of and about. Now, just briefly, the word doctrine in the Greek, if I can pronounce it correctly, didache or didashi, whatever. It means teachings. That's all it means. Teachings. And so it's not some, a lot of people say, well, this is the doctrine of justification, as if it's some great, grand, and high thing. It means the teachings of what the Bible says about justification. People say, well, I know the doctrines, as if it makes them so much greater. All they know is what the Bible says. That's it. Teachings here, teachings here, the Bible says that these And if you note in verse 9, it says, Now follow along with this, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the teachings of Christ. What does that mean? It means what Christ taught. And not just about himself. But it encompasses everything that he taught. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, I believe it's John 14 or John 16. He says, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit unto you and he shall teach you all things. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. So the doctrine of Christ is the all counsel of God. Genesis 1.1 to Revelation 22.21. It's not merely salvation. It's the Lord's church. It's godly living. It's end time truth. It's those, what I say, five things that the Bible can be broken into. Salvation, the Lord's church, godly living, God himself, and then uh, the end times. And if I mention one more than once, I'll get the rest of them for you later. Look over in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Here is the longest sermon in the Bible. Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to compare here in Matthew 5, and then we're going to turn over to Mark 7. And I'll give you time to turn there. But Matthew 5 and verse 21. Jesus says here, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and, what, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. 
Now note verse 22. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Now if you would, verse 27. Ye have heard, verse 28, but I say unto you, and he's speaking on adultery there. Verse 31. It hath been said, verse 32, but I say unto you, there he's speaking on divorce. Verse 33, again, ye have heard that it hath been said of them by old time. Verse 34, but I say unto you, in those two verses he's speaking about swearing or making an oath. Verse 38 and 39, ye have heard, that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Verse 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you. So what I read there was to show that Jesus taught more than salvation in him. And that's just a handful of verses. Now look over to Mark chapter 7. And we'll begin at verse 6. Mark chapter 7 and verse 6. This is what many pastors, many churches, and without God's grace, we will go that way as well, they're falling into. Because remember, it's God's grace that holds us up. Mark 7 and verse 6. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such things, or such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. And you could read on into verse 13 at your leisure. But I want you to see that and show that Jesus in Matthew 5 said, Ye have heard, but I say. And here in Mark 7, he tells them, You've rejected my word, and now you're teaching the doctrines of men for the commandments of God. How did that happen? Well, they let people in who didn't know the whole counsel of God to preach to them. That's happened down through the ages in churches of the Lord. We must guard the pulpit on more than the sovereignty of God in salvation. That seems to be the new mark that people have drawn in the sand. Meanwhile, Jesus is at the real front line of the battle. And many Baptists are back here. All the way back, hiding in the hospital. Hiding 
in the kitchen, in the lounge, and Jesus is out there on the battlefield saying, No, the line I drew is still up here. The Bible says in Psalms and in Proverbs, Remove not the ancient landmarks. That's what many are doing. And they do that by letting in false teachers into God's churches. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm just saying they're not teaching the whole counsel of God. And that brings me to our fourth point. Dangerous leaven. Look back in 2 John and verse 1. Remember, I said I wanted to come back to this. 2 John and verse 1. The elder unto the elect lady and her children. You know, parents guard their children. They're careful over them. They feed them. They try to give them the proper foods at certain times. You don't just give your kid anything to eat. When they're little children, you bring them up. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, he said that newborn babes desire the sincere or the pure milk of God's word. You start bringing in somebody and you don't have a clue what they're going to preach, they're going to start putting leaven. They're going to start planting tares. They'll do it. And I've seen churches split in two. Members who've been sound for 30 or 40 years, all of a sudden, they go off following the false teacher. People who you thought were pillars in the church. And there they go. And you thought, boy, I never thought they'd come off of those doctrines or the doctrine of Christ. We find here, and I'll say this, you cannot feed sheep just anything. They must be guarded against wolves. They must be guarded against eating the wrong things. And this service, all worship services, these are the spiritual meals. Remember, the Bible says, Man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God doth man live. I believe that's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 32, or Deuteronomy 32 and verse 8. And those may be wrong. But, and I've seen this too, there's Bible conferences, kind of like the one I mentioned last week, and you can assign a man a topic. I've heard people say he can, he's real good on salvation, but he's off on the church, he's off on the Lord's Supper, but he's great on salvation. Have him come in and preach about salvation. He will find a way to get what he wants to say about the church in that sermon. They will find a way to get it in. Because Satan is tricky, he's subtle, and he's cunning, and he's crafty. They'll find a way. They always do. Furthermore, we mentioned the unity. There in Psalm 133, that it is good and pleasant for brethren to dwell in unity. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I tell you what, churches of the Lord, they need to leave their covenants. They need to leave their constitutions. They need to leave their articles of faith. They need to either leave them alone or they need to quit being the Lord's churches. I have never seen a church change their covenant, their articles of faith, 
or their bylaws and made them more scriptural. They usually, 99% of the time, it weakens it and it'll go against the scriptures. Speaking of unity, in Ephesians 4 and verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A false teacher will cause strife and envy and divisions and schisms, and it will cause a great problem with the unity of the Lord's churches. It is a lot easier to tear down than it is to build up. It is. And you think about somebody who's sinned against you or they've broken your trust. You never quite fully trust them the way you did before. Well, that's the way it is. People tear it down. It may take 30 years for a church to get unity It can be gone in a second with one sin. And a lot of false teachers are planting those seeds. In closing tonight, look to the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes. Not only must we be in unity about many things, we must be in unison about this. Standing or withstanding and guarding the pulpit. Ecclesiastes 4. You know, it's true. And I'll admit this. It would be a very difficult thing. But it would be necessary to even stand against those in my family if they did not believe the truth. They would no longer be welcome here in a preaching capacity. And I'll say this, if I ever go haywire, then this church ought to take the steps in the Articles of Faith, the Constitution, the bylaws, to remove me from this pulpit. Because you ought not to give me countenance in the pulpit either, if I go against the Articles of Faith and what they say. If I begin to say, well, I changed my mind, I'm going to go with the universal church theory. Or I'm going to mill now. Well, that ought to give you a clue. And this church not only has the right, she has the responsibility to remove me from the pulpit and quickly before more leaven is planted. But I'd rather you pray that by God's grace we'll stand in that fashion. Ecclesiastes 4. Not only must we stand, we must stand together. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him... Two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not 
quickly broken. The wise man or the preacher here, Solomon, notes here the unity between two brethren. And he says, particularly there in verse 12, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And then you know the saying, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You take a piece of string, it's not very strong. You braid it with two others and make three, it's a lot stronger. That's how we need to stand together for the Lord and to guard this pulpit. Satan is cunning, he is crafty, he has very many tricks. There may be other churches that say, this man, he can really preach. You ought to have him. And he comes in and we say, he's not sound on Baptist doctrine. Or, why well, he ain't even qualified. We'll have to take that stand. Be not worried what other churches think in that capacity. Be concerned about what God thinks. Because he is the head of this church Jesus is the head. He's the one who set the boundaries. He's the one who set the bulwarks. He's the one who set the hedge about this church. We have to maintain it. We have to keep it. and We have to guard it. So let us stand together. Let us guard the pulpit. Let, let God give us grace to do so. You know, it's kind of like I've seen some folks, they'll say, I've seen churches, they'll say, we're not taking any more uh, uh, if you're going to be a member of this church and you don't have a letter, you have to be scripturally baptized. Well, then somebody's relative will come along and they'll say, well, I know them. I was there when they got baptized. And the pastor say, well, we already said and we voted that we're not taking any more statements. We're all, they'll have to be rebaptized. And the member will persist, say, well, I know them. I was there. They'll want to make an exception clause. We cannot make exception clauses if they're not in the scriptures. We have to stand for God's word. And in the end, we'll be better off. We'll be a more spiritual church. And I tell you this, after going through the fire a few times, we'll be a whole lot closer to the Lord and to one another. So I do hope that these 53 messages on our articles of faith have been a blessing to each one, that they have drawn us closer to the Lord, drawn us closer to one another. And may these things be the beginning of our unity as a church. I said when we started out, we're all going to get on the same page as to what this church believes. I believe Brother Gale's got them all updated on the Internet. If you need to listen to them or you want a CD, you get a hold of him. But they're all there, what we believe. Now again, remember, this is not all inclusive, nor is it all exclusive. It's a good start. So may God help us to maintain and to withstand and to propagate these things. Let's go ahead and stand and be dismissed tonight in a word of prayer. We do thank the Lord for each one who was here this evening and the privilege it has been to be with you. And may God... Continue to bless us as we serve him together. Let's close in a series. I'm going to ask if Brother Gail will begin, and then Brother Darren, and then Brother Leon, are you able to pray?
Okay, then we'll come back to Brother Jeff. Brother Gail first, Brother Darren, and then Brother Jeff. Brother Gail, please. Our Heavenly Father, we're, uh, we're so grateful that uh, you've given us a place to meet and to worship. Lord, we're, we're thankful for the, the series of messages on uh, the articles of faith. And Lord, it gives us a better understanding of, uh, of your teachings and, and your will and, uh, in our life. And Lord, we, we pray that we can uh, attain those teachings and, and uh, be sanctified more. And, Amen. Mm -hmm. 